Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, Mark here, and welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. As an info product creator, piracy is a huge problem for us, or at least it used to be. About a year ago, we hired a company called Takedown Czar to help us protect against piracy of our courses on Authority Hacker. While of course you're never going to stop it 100%, it did make a huge difference for us. So today I'm going to be interviewing Al Evans, who's the CEO of Takedown Czar, and he's going to be telling us about how you can protect yourself from people stealing, copying, and even reselling your info products. Al works with really big guys like Perry Marshall, Andre Chaperone, Ryan Levesque, and Brian Dean, and of course, ourselves. If you have an info product or course which you sell now, or if you're planning one in the future, then you absolutely won't want to miss today's show. The URL for the show is going to be authorityhacker.com forward slash takedown podcast, all one word. And you can find more details, links, show notes, and place to leave a comment there if you have any thoughts. So without further ado, please welcome Al Evans. Hi, Al. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Mark, pleasure to be here. Can you start quickly by introducing yourself and telling our listeners what it is exactly that you, you do? Yeah, sure. No problem. So my name is Al Evans. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Takedown Czar. We uh, protect the the copyrights and also trademarks of content creators such as yourself. And essentially, we battle the bad guys on the, on the interweb, so to speak. So I mean, uh, internet piracies primarily are port of call. We get links taken down, which are infringing on our clients' copyrights. We enforce trademarks and we do other creative things where clients ask us to do so. Essentially, I mean, we IP protection management services. I guess most of our listeners are probably somewhat familiar with piracy and more in the sense of, you know, like music piracy and movie piracy, which I think everyone who uses the internet has come into contact with at some point or another. How specifically does this affect site owners, info product creators? Is it a similar sort of thing that you, you do here or... Well, I mean, the thing about piracy is that people assume that it's it's just a just a generic one size fits all thing, so to speak. I mean, the, what we found over the years is that the forms piracy take differ dramatically from industry to industry. So the piracy which music creators experience is quite different from those which say producers of films and TV shows. And equally, when it comes to e-learning courses and 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 the like, I mean, we we've seen an entirely different type of piracy experience in that industry specifically over the past well i used to say 18 months but it's now a fair bit longer the past three or four years a cottage industry of what we describe as reseller sites has popped up and you know these sites very well yourself these sites and they are growing by the day by the month they resell people's premium based e-learning courses so two thousand dollar course one thousand dollar course five thousand dollar course $500 course, they're reselling them for substantial discounts. So we're talking 
uh, I mean, percentages aren't my strong point, but a two thousand dollar course being sold for twenty bucks, and I mean, obviously, very attractive to to a buyer who is looking to purchase your course or uh, someone else's course. I mean, when faced with the choice of either paying two thousand dollars or twenty dollars, and the content is almost always exactly the same, you can be sure that most people. I mean, there are those honest, those honest people who the world relies on, but there are a lot of people who are going to spend $20. So, I mean, essentially, that's the primary feature at this moment in time of e-learning-based pirates. Yeah, of course, we've got all the other types, which some people may or may not know, torrent sites, uh, cyber lockers, streaming services. These are all different types of piracy. But certainly when it comes to e-learning course creators, reseller sites are the most problematic and the most corrosive to sales. Yeah, I think that was kind of how it came to our attention is someone had bought our course and then ripped all of the videos and all of the text content and then had uploaded it to, I think it was Udemy or one of these these platforms and was selling it there, mm. pretending to be us. And then someone had actually joined our Facebook group or tried to join our Facebook group and say, hey, why aren't you accepting me? I bought your course for $10 on Udemy. And it was like a $1,000 mm. course at the time. Yeah. So definitely a big financial, I guess, risk there. But do people who are buying resold courses or pirating courses, are they actually buyers in the first place? Or is there perhaps an argument that you know, these people would never have, have paid $1,000 for your course in the first place? It's a really good question. I mean, before all these sites came up, there was an argument to suggest that someone using a free download site may possibly not be a buyer because they're downloading it for free. But I mean, I suppose it's up to each and every person to make, make their own decision. But the way I look at it is that there is a, a buying mentality. There is someone who is to spend dollars on a certain product. And, and I think there's a key distinction between a buyer and a non-buyer. I mean, yes, th- th- there are those people who may not spend $2,000, but put yourself in the buyer category. If they're actively browsing for a $2,000 course, and for example, that they're out to read some reviews or, or whatever, and they happen to stumble across a reseller site, which is selling the same course for $20, $20, and it's very easy to stumble across these because believe it or not, and this hasn't changed for the last two and a half years, that these sites rank very high in Google. I mean, a lot of our clients come to us because these reseller sites are outranking um, their own site for their top level keywords. So for, I don't know, amazing SEO course, a sales page might be number one for that particular keyword, but then a reseller site selling at, you know, thousand percent reduction could be number two or number three. And yes, there will be those people who will only purchase the cheap one. But the feedback we've got anyway, is that, you know, if someone happens to stumble across a cheaper link, and they're faced with the decision as to whether they spend the larger or the smaller amount of money, a lot of people are going to spend the smaller amount of money. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened to us. I think uh, with Authority Hacker Pro, at one point, four of the 10 links uh, on page one of Google when you search for Authority Hacker Pro were resellers or or pirate links, mm. which you know I have no way to tell, but I can only assume that was significantly affecting our, our bottom line. I mean, just, just another thing, which is certainly happens, you know, again, this has been a relatively new phenomenon, but these re- reseller sites have started to advertise. So we're seeing banner ads uh, appearing on various forums. We haven't seen any Facebook or Google stuff yet, and I suspect that we probably won't because because of all the you know all the checks in place. But certainly banner ads on various forums for VIP repositories of 
2000 premium base courses being sold for a lifetime membership of $99. We're seeing those banner ads all over the place at the moment for unteen, unteen reseller sites. So, I mean, if they're advertising, they are clearly making money. Yeah. And I've certainly seen this this a lot where there are people even starting, like as you said, like membership sites with just full of pirated content, mm. basically. So, you know, there's, there's clearly a market for this. But that being the case, as a business owner, as a product owner, I mean, initially, I, I was under the impression that, oh, this is just a sort of cost of doing business. People are always going to, a certain percentage of people are always going to pirate info products, mm. especially. But what are some of the things that can be done to, to fight back here? Well, I mean, I suppose it, it takes really two forms. There's the Band-Aid approach, if I want to use that, that, that expression, which is disappearing these links from the search engines. So uh, the technical expression being de-indexation. So removing them from the search engines so people don't bump into them when they're doing a generic search for review purposes, or even, even if they're just looking actively looking for a freebie a lot of people use google to do that so disappearing links from then like i said a band-aid approach doesn't solve the problem and then there's obviously the more permanent approach which is to get the listings links infringements removed directly from the individual sites how does one go about doing either of those so, I mean, when it comes to the first process, de-indexation, I mean, we, we work with most of the search engines, certainly Google, Yahoo, Bing, Bing, the top three. But if, if I was just to use Google as an example, because really the process is the same, it, it is essentially filling out a form on on Google, listing out the infringements, providing a description as to why they're infringing, providing an example of work, an example of work being, for example, your your sales page or something to that effect, and then submitting those details to Google. And then there's, there's a process after that, which you may want to ask about, but it is, it is a simple, certainly when it comes to Google deindexation, of submitting the links to Google. And is this a sort of automated process that they're putting it through? I mean, do they just take down anything that, that's requested or you know, do they actually have someone manually reviewing all of these requests? I've never been completely transparent as to exactly how they work. But uh, I mean, after watching tens of millions of links go from us through them, and we have a pretty good idea as to how we, we think it works, there appears to be a blacklist of, of sites. How you qualify for the blacklist, how a site qualifies for the blacklist is probably due to how many submissions are made for that site as an infringing site. Our impression is that once a site makes the blacklist, so Pirate Bay being probably the earliest example of a blacklisted site. Anything which gets submitted to Google through the DMCA process from these pirate sites tends to get taken down automatically. And when I say automatically, we usually see an acceptance within a couple of minutes to a couple of hours, usually an hour or so. In terms of the actual removal from the Google index itself, it takes a little bit more time to propagate. But certainly, I would say that 60% of the submissions we make to Google, and that, that's a, just a guess, really, but uh, it's 60-70% of the submissions we, we make to Google are taken down pretty quickly because they're on the blacklist. The rest of them do go for manual review. So there is a team of Google reviewers who will review and either uh, accept or reject the, the submission. 
And one of the most interesting things for me when I first started looking into this was when you go through that process, when Google removes them, so to speak, from the index, they don't necessarily completely hide them. Like it, it's still findable, right? It, there's, uh, yes. there, there's some links at the bottom of the page that say they've removed it. What's the purpose of that? It's one of the biggest fallacies of the of the DMCA takedown process. And yes, you're absolutely right. At the bottom of any search result where a link has been removed, they do have a listings to what used to be the transparency report, I think is now the, the Lumens database. It, it does tend to change reasonably regularly. But essentially, this is a repository in whatever form, but a repository of the takedown requests Google have received. So, And the reason they do it is just as I said, it's transparency. They're looking to be as open as transparent as possible. So they're, they're saying to people, hey, everyone, here are the links which we uh, have removed from the index. And they even include the actual notice which you send them. So, I mean, great, love the transparency, love the openness of, of the company. But of course, it, it does. there is a profound irony here that the, the links which have been removed are actually uh, still f- freely available just by one click at the bottom of the search results. Not many people know this, but you know, savvy pirates <laughs> will search for it, not find the thing, and then just go to the bottom of the page, and then they have essentially a, a second search engine, if you will, which is the transparency report. Yeah, I, I imagine some people probably go there first because that's where all the stuff they're actually looking for for probably is. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a band-aid. I mean, uh, Bing and Bing and Yahoo have slightly different approaches, although they're sort of in flux at the moment. But I mean, honestly speaking, let, let's be candid, who uses Bing or Yahoo? So, you know, I mean, Google, Google is sort of the king, as we all know, and Google's really the only thing which matters. Yeah. You mentioned briefly there the DMCA, uh, that's Digital Millennium Copyright Act, if, if I'm not mistaken. Can you just explain briefly what that is and, and, and what the purpose of that law is? Yeah, of course. I mean, I should say, first off, I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't practice law. Uh, I don't claim to practice law. I don't pretend to practice law. It's, it's quite important I say that, say that up front. Uh, but essentially, the, the act is the USA-based, and that's important, USA-based copyright legislation for digital products. It's a relatively arcane law now. Uh, it has been amended, but it was, I can't remember the exact date, but it was the 90s, late 90s, early 90s, I think it was mid 90s, actually, when it first came into law. I mean, obviously, since then, the internet landscape has changed quite significantly. And that, like I said, there was an amendment, I can't remember exactly when, but it is due uh, a serious review, if you will, as is a lot of legislation, to be honest, as, as a side note. But it is essentially a means whereby rights holders can protect themselves within the United States of America. A lot of non-US people are still affected by this just because so many sites you know, have uh, servers in the US or do business with the US and they want to comply with it. Certainly, all the big you know, YouTubes and Googles and Facebooks and these, these kind of companies are keen to, to comply with it. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was originally pushed by the, the music industry as a, as a way for them to quickly get stuff taken down without having to go through a, a lawsuit every time. But yeah, so I mean, just to go back to something you said earlier, you know, you talked about de-indexing and removing, getting stuff removed from Google. But we also mentioned that, well, if you do that, it's still technically there and people can still find it. So what's the steps beyond that that can be 
can be taken. I mean, uh, especially with people who are you know making money and profiting from reselling uh, our courses. Okay, so how does this apply in other countries if sites are hosted in the UK or, or somewhere else? So yeah, I mean, that, that's the important point. It's not actually where you or someone else is doing business, which matters. What matters is where an infringing site is hosted. It's slightly more complicated than that, but I'm, just to keep it as simple as possible, the hosting territory is the key. So if, if uh, an infringing site, if a site was infringing on your copyright is hosted in America and you happen to be a British business, you can use the DMCA, you can use the Digital Millennium Copyright Act to initiate or request or demand uh, a takedown because the site is hosted in the USA. When a site is hosted in another country, in, then if you're being strict and t- to the letter about it, you should be using the copyright legislation for that particular country. Now, when I say being strict about it, most people, and I think a lot of people probably listening to this call, assume, and maybe up until this point, that the DMCA was a, a worldwide legislation. It isn't, but because it's so prolific and it's, it's really what people most associate with copyright law, honestly, if you submit a DMCA request to a site which is hosted in, I don't know, the UK, I would say that 80% of the time, you won't get a reply, which is, I'm sorry, you need to be using UK legislation to submit this. Most of the time, people will will accept it. Obviously, there are there are those exceptions, particularly uh, sites hosted in France, they are a stickler for French legislation. And then you get to what we describe as copyright black spot countries, China being an obvious one where... <laughs> Honestly speaking, even if you use local Chinese law, you're going to have a tall order getting anything removed without going much further. I presume that gets even more complicated when people start using, you know, CDNs and and, and ways of masking where the the sites are originally hosted. True. I mean, Cloudflare being a case in point, yes, it, it does get complicated. I mean, you can write to Cloudflare and ask them to ask them for the the actual hosting details. They are getting much better at replying and replying quickly. We have had a few issues with them in the past. But yeah, you can write to the CDN and request information about the hosting company. But honestly speaking, in, when we see Cloudflare flash up, we know most of the time that once we request the hosting information, it's going to be somewhere like Iceland or Holland or Russia or somewhere where it's going to be difficult to get something removed. Not impossible. And we constantly surprise ourselves with what we can actually get taken down. But yeah, it's the CDNs can mask. There are ways to to, to get around it, but it's sometimes a bit of a losing battle. So it sounds like there's, there's kind of like two approaches here. One is the going after people's ability to find this pirated content. So that's like going, going to Google, doing the quest there. And the other is actually getting the site taken down from their host or wherever the, the data kind of is stored. What are the differences in, in approaches there? If I was to put on a, a hat of a, an e-learning course creator, who is looking to protect themselves. I mean, I would actually boil it down to a similar but slightly different division. Uh, I would talk about detection and takedown. So detection being the first process and takedown being the second. So detection being actually finding the links which were infringing on your copyright. And you can find them in Google. You can find them on forums. You can find them on 
file sharing search engines. There are many different ways to, to find infringements. Although, honestly speaking, I think anyone who is looking to do this themselves, infringements will probably find you and they'll probably be at the top of Google. And those are the ones you're going to want to focus on right away. That's the detection process. And then the takedown process, as I said, I mean, it's, it's really a case of how far you want to go. Do you want to just disappear them from Google? Kind of. We've already talked about how they're not actually disappeared. Or do you want to go further and actually get the whole infringement removed at source? And is that a, a realistic battle that someone can can actually win? Or is it the case of it's like a hydra, you cut off one head and there's five more take its place? Well, I mean, I suppose it depends how much time you, you're willing to invest. I mean, if you have an infinite amount of time, then the, the battle is is absolutely winnable. I mean, that's a, that's another fallacy. I mean, I think the two biggest fallacies of the of piracy is that people who download pirate links don't buy. And the second one is this is, as you said, this is a hydra which keeps on going and going and going. Yes, numerous replacement links inevitability for popular authors being a case in point. I wouldn't say that someone who is the start of their a content creation journey is either one going to have a lot of problems with this or two going to have the time to invest in it because honestly speaking there are much more important things that they need to be doing if they're at the start of their journey but for someone who has presence someone who's making sales someone who has built a business and then is growing their business it is absolutely something which they can tackle i mean we can go into more more depth about that because th- there are many it really depends on the the type of site which is infringing on the copyrights. But yes, with the time investments, it is possible. Yeah, I mean, like for us, it was, I think internet marketing seems to be a a particularly bad case where, you know, everyone's course seems to get pirated, you know, on day one almost. And as I said before, we had loads of sites uh, reselling our courses and whatnot. And when you have a a four-figure figure product, it starts to make financial sense quite quickly to do something about this rather than just sort of let it slide and, and focus on your business, which may in the initial days or when you're starting out, it, it may make sense just to ignore it for a while, I, I guess. I don't know. Maybe you have a different opinion on that. No, I, th- um, I think but- absolutely. I mean, I think if you're, if you're selling WSOs for, so I haven't been in that space for a very long time, but I think <laughs> remember, remember years ago, they were selling for like seven bucks or whatever. I mean, if, if that's where you're at, then those that stuff does get pirated. We see that a lot on forums. And honestly, enforcing that either by employing a service or enforcing it yourself is quite honestly a waste of time. You, you need to be growing your business. But as you said, I think when you reach a certain level, it just starts to make financial sense. And I should say, I, I'm not a content creator. I've never released an e-learning course in my life. And I'm purely going on the feedback of our you know, dozens and dozens of clients. At a certain point, there is a, an ROI, and in some cases, quite a big ROI in getting this stuff taken down. How do these resellers actually go about selling your course? Because that was that was one of the things that surprised me the most. I, I kind of expected people to put it on a torrent site or whatever. But when I saw people reselling our course for 50 bucks or whatever, it felt a bit more, I guess, meaningful. How do they get away with that? Doesn't PayPal or whatever shut them down? Well, I mean, they essentially set up shop fronts. And this is, again, why they're so corrosive, because they look... Like, like legitimate sites. I mean, of course, anyone with a with a small modicum of sense is going to question it. But if you're new to this, or if, quite frankly, you want to stick your head in the sand, they look like legitimate sites. You have to go through a billing process. You have to fill out your billing address, your shipping address, even though nothing's actually being shipped to you. I mean, they position themselves 
as sites with a, an air of legitimacy. And, and that, that makes things even more troubling because at that point, there is a legitimate argument that people might simply get confused and assume that they're allowed to buy from this site. And to, uh, 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 to answer your question about how they take payment, yeah, they're using PayPal. Uh, I would say 80% of these sites are using PayPal. And if, if PayPal shut them down and PayPal are quite sluggish to shut them down, I, I use, that, use that term advisedly, and also they need to receive a report to have them shut down. It's very easy to set up a new PayPal account. It's very easy to, to buy PayPal accounts. There are one or two sites which are using other payment processes and other legitimate payment processes. Uh, there are sites which also accept Bitcoin and also more questionable uh, payment processes as well. But no, 80% of the sites, PayPal is their, is their go-to service. Has Bitcoin become an increasing kind of feature on there? I imagine a lot of people are interested in buying these kind of products with with cryptocurrencies. Not as much as I would have expected, to be honest. I, th- I think it will become bigger in the future. But yeah, I, I was quite surprised over the last year not to see more of these sites start to accept Bitcoin. Yes, they do. But PayPal is still absolutely number one. And I would, uh, again, I haven't got the figures to hand, but you know, I would say that less than 10% of today's count, I think is 454 reseller sites in our database. Uh, I think less than 10% are using pay- Bitcoin at this moment in time. Okay. So if you're doing this yourself, so if, there, if I'm out there with my new brand new info product, which I find has been pirated, or first of all, how do I go about finding out whether people are, are pirating my course besides just you know searching for the course and seeing what's on page one? Is there other ways to, to identify this, to track it down? I mean, not without building software, I wouldn't say, or employing a VA to do multiple multiple searches across multiple platforms. I mean, I, th- I think as with anything on the internet, I mean, the search engines are kind of the place to start. Um, I mean, like I said, you can use file sharing search engines, uh, which are indexation services for file sharing links, cyber lockers, as we like to call them. And, uh, and a cyber locker is essentially... Sites like, I don't know, uh, Mega, I think people have probably heard of, or RapidGator or NitroFlare or ZippyShare, all of these sites, the, the websites where you can upload content, upload digital content directly to their servers, which then uh, you can supply a link to someone else and they can then download it. There are indexation services for, for those sites. Equally, there are, are indexation services for, for torrents. So really, I think it's a question of, of using various search engines, whether it be Google or specific search engines like the file sharing link search engines like the torrent search engines to to locate this stuff and is there anything people content creators product creators can do in terms of like protecting people from stealing their content within the content itself i mean is there any kind of digital watermarking or anti-copying features that, that actually work? Or is that a, a pipe dream? No, there are plenty of services out there. It's one of the most common questions we get from clients. Firstly, do you have a watermarking service, which which we don't? And also, uh, what would you recommend? Um, many people have tried them. Many A-list content creators have tried them. And all of them have thrown them out after a relatively short period of time. And, and the reason being is that it just creates such a, a massive barrier for entry for anyone buying it starts to affect sales i mean if if people can't download stuff to their own mobile devices or whatever to consume on the go people are less likely to buy if you've got sort of hoops it's basically a question of just putting more hoops for people to jump through and like like i said in the end 
people just give up on them because they're just so complicated. I mean, like I said, I'm sure there are services out there which which some people use and some people benefit from. And that I think there's Adtrax Gold is 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 a service which again back in the day was was pretty good, and I think they're still up and running. And there are equivalents, but the feedback which we've got from our, our clients is that quite simply it just creates too much of a barrier for entry. Yeah, uh, I, I remember looking at the, these a while a while back, and this is maybe a couple years ago, so it may have changed since then. But my kind of initial impression was that yeah, this can maybe stop some or most piracy, but it's going to have such a negative effect on user experience that it'll probably increase your refund rate by the same that you would otherwise have, have saved just because like the video providers or the video hosts in, in these situations, especially they're just nowhere near as good as industry leaders like uh, Wistia or, or Vimeo. So yeah, I think that's, that's probably. There are things which clients do use thinking about it. I, I mean, just simple IP logs for uh, loggings into membership sites, etc. That stuff is helpful just just to see if if a logging is being shared around multiple people. Again, I'm sorry, I, I don't know the, the names of the software which people use, but certainly from a number of clients, they've fed back about that. And it's been very useful in, in tracking down, for example, group buy uh, suppliers. So people who uh, purchase a course from you, so make a legitimate purchase, but then go and pull that purchase by um, selling tickets to it, so to speak. So they've purchased a $2,000 course, they might offer, I don't know, again, maths, but they might offer 100 seats for a, a portion of that $2,000 and each person pays a certain amount. How honest they are with it is a separate matter, but they uh, certainly tracking down those people, IP logs and and so on and so forth was, have been quite helpful. I think actually we had a case with you a, a year or two ago with that. I, I might be mistaken, but yeah, we use MemberMouse to, to basically manage our access to our, our courses. And they have, I mean, first of all, I don't think they're the best membership software out there. Uh, all membership softwares have their, their inherent flaws. But something that, which they do do quite well is, uh, is tracking and logging. And you can actually sort of set whether, you know, how everything is logged and if more than if an account's used by more than X number of IPs within a certain time, you can sort of send out warnings and cut off access if you think accounts being shared and stuff but something which i'm sort of thinking about as well is more in terms of the actual structure of the course so yes i mean we have the videos and we have text content which as we mentioned it's quite difficult to stop that being ripped stop that being copied but there are other elements to our courses now such as the facebook group or we use give away free consulting calls to some members and those things which kind of create a lot of value in themselves are you, inherently you can't pirate them in the in the same way and i've seen quite a few course creators making even bits of software which I mean, and there's one, I'm not going to mention the name, but there's one I remember particularly, it wasn't actually necessary to use the course to have this software, but perhaps I was thinking that maybe they created it in such a way that people felt like they had to use that in order to get the information in the course. And it was like an anti-piracy thing or something. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I think it's worth mentioning that there are a few sort of options for people there to to kind of at least dampen things a little bit versus a, just a raw video slash text course. No, absolutely. I think a lot of people are, are using that because, as you said, you can't pirate community. I think what people do less well is that although they integrate these things into the products, it's about communicating to the, to the buyer 
that these parts are fundamental to their to their experience and not just a happy add-on which is a relatively difficult thing to do because the, the value is in the is in the actual content i'm sure there are examples out there of people doing this successfully and i think when done successfully when when it's made abundantly clear in the sales letter that these things which cannot be duplicated are you know fundamental to getting the most out of the course i think that would be a really effective strategy but it's about is i think it's about positioning because i mean just putting as a bonus at the end of the sales letter on by the way there's a facebook group i mean i don't think that's going to that's going to be enough i I really think it needs to be something which is more integral yeah Uh, so i think that's where it comes into the kind of product creation when you're when you're actually planning it it's kind of it's worth thinking about these things at that time as well Okay, so how then does one actually go about handling this problem? I mean, what is it that that you guys at Takedowns are do, which is so much better than the individual can do in this situation? Well, I mean, if we're to compare ourselves to the individual and not other services, I mean, this is our 100% our focus. This is what we do day in, day out. So that's the first point. I mean, we have no other goal as a business as apart from protecting people's copyright from infringements so i mean we've spent the best part of five six years building a software platform which caters for this i mean i i don't know how many millions of lines of code my development partner has has written and uh, the other people which we've taken on in the last two or three years but i mean it's an absolute beast so we're able to one dedicate 100 percent of our time to it two we're able to do it at scale so i talked about locate the detection part and we'll talk about takedown in a second but the detection part we are able to run multiple scans on multiple platforms to multiple depths so we are able to search for authority hacker as a single keyword on google yahoo bing to a depth of infinity so if the search so what i mean by that is if the search results keep on going to page 100 our software goes that far and it's able to do it very quickly and then it's able to search for in your case, I think we've got like 3,000 other keyword modifiers, so suffixes and prefixes, which are buyer-based, which are pirate-based, so we'll search for authority hacker buy, authority hacker reviews, and then we'll be searching for authority hacker torrent or authority hacker free download or whatever. We're doing all these searches over all the search engines, uh, over multiple forums, so we're logging into dozens of forums and these searches we're using different indexation services such as those i talked about before so like i said we're able to do it massively at scale and then when it comes down to the the takedown process which i I think we're useful to talk about in more depth from a user perspective we're not able to process infringements in bulk but we've also developed systems over the years to get removed those infringements which are nigh on impossible to remove. I'm talking about infringements which are a site owner who lives in Vietnam who hosts his site in Iceland. And realistically, the only way which you really should be able to get that removed is a local court order in Iceland, which <laughs> will cost you tens of thousands of dollars as a minimum with no guarantee of success or a legal case against the individual in Vietnam, which is the same process. But then, of course, you've got to find out who the guy actually is as well. So you've got the, that process as well. We, like I said, we're not lawyers. We don't claim to be lawyers, but we are able to get these known impossible infringements removed for a relatively low dollar cost and uh, our success rates pretty good certainly when we break it down to resellers we're i mean 2017 we, we were way into the 90 percent of successful removals and that, that includes sites hosted in copyright black spots 
without sort of sharing your your trade secrets on on exactly how you do that, can you give us an idea as to, to what you're doing there to make that happen? Well, I mean, we start from the basis that the result is the only thing which counts and work back from there. I mean, uh, the infringement removal is is where we start from. And then we find a strategy in order to achieve that. And it can take many, many forms. I mean, it can be as simple as writing to the site directly and asking them to remove it. And sometimes they do. Most of the time they don't, but sometimes they do. It can be uh, threatening to block their payment processes. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Then we might need to get more creative and find out who the site owner is. And obviously, most of these guys are pretty smart. They've hidden their who is information or provided bogus information. So it's it's about using online cyber investigative tactics to to get stuff removed and then it gets a little tricky and and technical and of course we always want to stay in the bounds of the law so we're certainly not hacking anyone or anything like that and then also it's really a question of using leverage in whatever form so providing an incentive to get our client stuff taken down now that that sounds a little bit cryptic so like i said leverage could be for example telling them we're going to block their payment processor this is a true story leverage could be finding out where they work and saying, look, we're going to tell your boss what you're doing in your spare time. Do you really want that information out there? And that can prove quite an effective tactic. Like I said, we start from the result and work back. And we've had cases whereby when we had a situation in a, I don't want to name the country, but it was an African-based country where we had to hire a private investigator to track someone. And that was incentive enough to get him removed when he realized he was being followed on the ground. Because quite honestly, when you penetrate these guys' online persona, they tend to fall in line quite quickly. We're only able to do that, I should say, because that site was infringing on dozens of our clients' copyright, and we were able to pull the resources across our, our entire client base. But it can get a bit a bit tricky, and maybe you want to ask me what an average user can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't imagine too many individuals are taking things to that extent. It is a pretty cool story, though. I also wanted to ask, does this ever go to court? I mean, are there ever any big cases about this kind of stuff? We've never taken anything to court, and I would very much like to at some point just to go through that process. We never had any need to because we've never had to go that far. We've always had a resolution before that. In terms of whether other people take stuff to court, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, the FBI have been involved in in several large takedowns over the years. I think there was Kickass Torrents. I, I think I might be getting that slightly wrong, but there was certainly a torrent site a couple of years ago which was taken down by the FBI. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the music industry have been civil suits or lawsuits all over the place. Uh, the, the, the porn industry are very litigious when it comes to this type of stuff. Uh, when it comes to e-learning course creators, we do have one client who has gone the legal route before. And they haven't said too much about that. I don't think it was massive success. I don't think many e-learning course creators go that route because it's so expensive. Uh, I think you really have to be a, a whale like a, a movie studio or uh, the music industry or a record label to go that route. Yeah, I, I heard stories about the music music industry or the uh, film industry. I forget which one it was. They were actually going after people who were downloading the content from various torrent sites. And I think in Germany, especially, like a lot of people were getting 500 euro fines for downloading TV series and and that kind of thing. Is that just because they have so much clout and they're sort of looking to, to set an example there as a sort of deterrence measure? 
Honestly speaking, I think they're using it as a revenue stream. There are companies out there whose business model it is um, to scrape the IPs of, of people torrenting and then send them a threatening letter saying, we either take you to court, you need to pay 50 bucks or whatever. Um, like I said, so there is an industry there which, which services it. Yeah, I think there is some deterrent. I don't know how big a deterrent it is, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can hear me hesitating because personally, I don't much like that business model. I think really you need to be going after the root of the problem as opposed to the individual users. And, and there will be clients of ours who will, who will disagree with that. But I do think going after the source rather than some guy who just thought, you know, oh, I'd quite like to just watch a movie tonight. I mean, like I said, it's, it's by far and away not something which, which I would condone. But I think the people who are distributing the content illegally are by far and away the greater problem. Okay. And is there anything else that you can tell us from an individual's perspective about removing this kind of content? Is there any other routes people can go? So, I mean, we talked about going after payment processors, CDNs were mentioned. Is there anything else people can can do here when they find sites which are, are infringing? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is going back to the time investment. I mean, no one wants to be doing this themselves. I mean, and it's a relatively easy skill when you're talking about the, the simple re- removals. So teaching a, a VA, a virtual assistant, how to do this stuff uh, is absolutely which something someone can do. And like I said, when it comes to file sharing sites, so sites which are distributing the content from their own servers, which other people have uploaded, I mean, 90% of those cases, writing them a letter which fulfills all the criteria of the DMCA in most cases, or on occasion, a local country's copyright legislation will result in a takedown and a relatively quick takedown. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's really just a question of investing the time and once that's done whether it be you a service or a va and like i said it's in the simple cases it's a pretty easy skill to teach you're going to see 60 percent of of infringements removed i mean of course the 40 percent which aren't are the most corrosive namely the reseller sites and the like but yeah i mean a user can can absolutely to do this and have and have a decent amount of success i mean it's if it's a choice between not doing it or, or doing it to some degree, getting 60, 70% of infringements removed and removed at source, I should add as well. I mean, I, I think it's absolutely something which people should consider. Do you get a lot of people um, coming to you guys who have previously been doing it themselves? Not really, to be honest. There are those who have been and have just realized that it's it's just not something they want to be doing just because it's, you know, it's, it's not productive for them in that that they could be doing far more productive things for, with their time which is part of their skill set yeah those people do exist but quite honestly most people know that they, they just want it handled they just want it taken care of and they don't want to be doing it themselves yeah i mean th- i mean this was certainly the case with us when it started to become a, an issue and uh, we sort of realized the financial implications i mean coming to a takedown service instantly became financially worthwhile i mean the the as you said the time investing in figuring all this stuff out and training vas to run the process every week or every month or whatever is just pretty pretty significant and for us it was much better like value to just focus on on the business but this so brings me on to my next question and that you know there's a number of different services doing this stuff out there without sort of making this too much of a sales pitch like what is it that you guys do which is is so good i'll let you answer that i already know the answer 
because you know I am your customer, but uh, just tell our, our audience. Please. Without turning this into a sales pitch, I'm really just going to go off the the feedbacks w- which we've got from clients who have jumped ship from one service to us, and quite simply, it just comes down to one word. It comes down to results. We actually get stuff taken down and taken down at source. That's worth restating. We we actually get stuff taken down and taken down at source. And the reason why I've said that twice is because although that that's people assume that's what most services do. Most services don't. And unfortunately, a lot of services do rely on the ignorance of their clients and customers. And I have no problem with saying this because this is the feedback which we've got from our clients who have come from other services to us. A lot of other services rely on the ignorance of their clients to essentially hide infringements from them. So they will get stuff de-indexed from Google, Yahoo, and Bing, which essentially hides the problem doesn't remove it hides the problem and then the clients i mean is are there any other infringements i can't see them so maybe it's okay and then at some point obviously they realize that all of this stuff is still out there and live because getting it taken down at source is quite often quite difficult in the 40 percent of cases such as reseller sites such as sites in copyright black spots and then they ask what's going on and (laughs) the other services have no answer i mean this is the feedback which we've got. And for us, like I said, we start with the result in mind and then we, we work backwards. And we are tenacious. I mean, we represent dozens of e-learning course creators. And, and at this point, we have enough weight, like I said, to be able to hire private investigators in an African country because if we're paying for that investigator $500 an hour, or I'm making that number up, but it's not something which we could do for, for, for a single client. But we can absolutely do it for three dozen clients, all of whom are being infringed on a, on a particular site. So we will do whatever it takes to get stuff removed. Within the bounds of the law, I should, I should add as a caveat. Yeah. <laughs> just caveat that yeah yeah i mean it's certainly when just to talk about our own sort of buying decision here when i was looking for similar services i mean most of the people who were sort of explaining what they would do talked about mm-hmm. almost exclusively hey we remove stuff from google this is how we do it etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, it was only you guys i think we looked at three or four other companies as well it was only you guys who explained well actually this doesn't remove the problem as we talked about earlier on, on the podcast it's just sort of removes it from the main index but everything's still findable and everything's still still online so yeah that was probably part of our or that was definitely the the main thing which influenced our our decision there but let's wrap it up there if we can is there anything which i haven't asked you which i should have asked you no, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's just to reiterate that doing this stuff, get, getting infringements removed is, is not something which everyone should be focusing on. I think that's really important. I mean, like I said, I think you need to be at a certain certain level in your business to even begin thinking about this. You've got far more important things to be worrying about than getting stuff removed. And even at a when you're starting out, there is an argument to suggest that actually piracy could even be beneficial because, you know, it provides publicity or the you know is all publicity is it good publicity i I think in cases where you're just trying to get any name out in the beginning i I think there is an argument for that but at a certain point it just becomes corrosive to the business and needs to be acted upon and i think the last thing i'm going to say is is something which i never thought was actually going to be a thing really but again we're just purely going on feedback from clients it's not just about the roi for a lot of our 
top level marketers. It's also about their brand. And again, brand is really only something people start to think about once their business reaches a certain level. But brand is important to someone who's you know earning seven figures a year or even even less. I mean, they don't want to have a lot of this spammy stuff out there, whether or not it's infringing or not. It's just anything which is claiming to be a free download. And it's just distracting people from the brand message, which they're, they're trying to get out there, even if there's actually, it's just some sort of spammy advert. People want this stuff removed because it just clouds it clouds the the image which they're trying to present, the brand which they're trying to present for themselves. So again, that's something which which I was never aware of when we first started all of this, but it's certainly something which a lot of our clients are concerned about. Yeah, I can understand that as well. You know, if you want to position yourselves as a as a premium brand, but you know, there's banner ads all over some forums for your, you know, twenty dollar version of your course, then that's obviously not a good thing. So so mm. yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Al. I really appreciate it. Got a lot of value out of that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have been enlightened as to uh, what they can do to protect themselves now. I'm right in thinking that uh, takedownzar.com is where, where people can find you. Yeah, people can find us at takedownzar.com. Again, Zar is something which uh, people struggle to spell, but C is in Charlie, Z is in Zebra. A is in Apple, R is in Romeo, takedownzar.com. And if anyone's interested in finding out a little bit about us, if they can just mention that, that they came through you, you know, authority hacker, et cetera, et cetera, just so we can uh, take extra special care of them. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And uh, yeah, takedownzar.com is, is the site if you guys want to find out more. We'll be back next Monday with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.